0: Talk to you about answering the call in the day and time that we live. And I've titled this message, uh, Where Are the Levites? Where are the Levites? This has been on my heart for, for weeks, even months. And in this season, I've really felt that the Lord has asked that of me to be a Levite uh, and to bear the load, no matter how heavy that load may be, but to bear it as a Levite. And I'll kind of explain. Uh, as I pray over my kids, I really want my kids to be a Levite. What do I mean by that? I want my kids to grow up and to become someone who intercedes for the lost, who bears the presence of God on their life, and who works for the ministry of the Lord in whatever way He gifts them to do that, that they would be a Levite unto the Lord. And I was raised, what I would say, in a Levite home, a Levitical home. And, and you're like, well, what are you talking about, Pastor? Keith? We're not Jewish, and I'm not Jewish either. But uh, growing up, over the last 30 years, I look back on my parents. So I'm an only child. My mom and dad uh, got radically saved when they were both young. My dad came out of a a very bad home life and radically gave his life to the Lord and married my mom. And they were in church. Uh, From the time I was little, I remember playing Hot Wheels and crayons under the pews and rolling from the front to the back. You know, I don't know if you ever did that when you were a kid. But I remember Sunday, we went to church Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night. And over the last... 30 years, if I look back over my my childhood and what my parents have done, even after I've been out of the house, my mom and dad have served in so many roles in the local church over the last 30 years. They have been uh, worship team members, Sunday school teachers, boys and girls, midweek leaders, volunteer youth pastors for a season, a deacon, a church bookkeeper, currently a men's ministry leader, and more. Growing up, we hosted people in our homes. We picked people up for church. Uh, we spent extra time at Christmas building parade floats. We attended missions trips. Uh, there was a season we even mowed the church yard. Uh, we served and counted, uh, set up for countless uh, ministry events. And all of this the while, My both of my parents always worked, both of them 40 to 50 hours a week their entire life as I was growing up. Both of them had a full-time job. They raised me along with several of my nephews and nieces. There was a season where we had uncles in our house. We had grandparents living in our house. There was a time where my mom and dad uh, had lost their jobs. A time where my mom, and, my mom had had cancer, where my dad was dealing with uh, health issues. Uh, all these things, owning. There was a moment where my mom owned her own business. And if you're a business owner, you know what that's like. And throughout that entire time, we never missed hardly any church, and they continued to do their ministry jobs because not because it was religious, but because they were passionate about serving the Lord. So I look and I, I can tell you that today, that uh, hundreds of young people have been mentored by my parents. Uh, I have several people that call my parents mom and dad. Uh, just the influence they've had over their life, and uh, I look back and say, "Well, I was definitely raised a Levite," and so. I Forgive me if someone comes into my life and says, we're a little too busy right now uh, to serve and to be a part of the local church because uh, I was a Levite. I know what it takes to be a part behind the scenes. I was not a pastor's kid, but I was a Levite's kid. And I had no intention in my life of being a pastor or to even being as involved as my parents were. But something about seeing my parents serve the Lord with such diligence and such hard work and tenacity uh, inspired something in me to go after God as a young person. There's a vision that William Booth, the founder of the Salvation Army, had uh, about the modern church. And he said he saw in a dream, he said, I saw in a dream a, an ocean, a, a black stormy ocean. And in this ocean were, were uh, desperate, weary souls crying out, dying and drowning in agony. And he said, then he saw a a platform rise up out of the ocean and and it was a rock, a giant rock, and it reached to the heaven. And on that rock was a platform and some weary souls were able to find refuge and rest on this platform of this rock. And, And it's as if God had built this rock for them to be saved and They get on the rock and immediately some of them turn around and start throwing ropes out and pulling people back in and pulling people out of the water and begin to rescue people immediately. But then he said, I saw something curious, something mysterious, something that didn't make any sense. He said, I saw some people on the rock Began to forget that they had even come out of the water. Some of them began to get involved in, in what kind of clothes they wore and their music hobbies and their painting and their, their abilities and their entertainment. And he said some people began to argue over belief about the rock and how the rock worked and what the rock did. And he said, and then he saw some of them even bowing down, praising the rock and worshiping the God who made the rock. And he said, but yet their cries Seemed vain. He said, because then he saw that God. He saw that divine being, and that divine being was actually out there in the ocean. And he was crying out to the people who were on the rock to jump back in the water and help him save as many weary souls as they could. Now I think about that today, and it's such a picture of the American church that we've lost sight of really what this. Is all about, you know. Following COVID nineteen, I looked, listened to the news the other day. Said that in some certain industries, up to twenty percent of people have not returned back to the workforce. That's why we have so much shortages in our country today. Twenty percent, and some uh, five, anywhere from five to twenty percent of the American workforce is not reengaged in twenty twenty one. Many have reporting overwhelmed with depression and suicide and anxiety, the stress of life. And many are still living on government assistance. And I think that spirit has also attached itself uh, to the church. I think it happened before COVID, but I think it definitely manifested after uh, this. That there's a heaviness and a fear and an apathy on the American church. I think people have unknowingly bought into the lie of the devil's wel- welfare that you can live Uh, through disengagement and live without working, that you can be a Christian without serving, uh, that Jesus is not coming quickly. And if I was honest today, I can look and I can see an American church that's so overwhelmed with the cares of this life that they're no longer willing to bear the presence of God. Very few are working to reach the lost before Jesus returns. I see two groups. The first group is uninterested in the things of God. They're too busy to take weekly Sabbaths. They fill their lives with worldly entertainment and pleasures. They work hard to build a better life here and now, but they're not spiritual enough perhaps to engage in the building of God's kingdom. They've gladly passed the buck to paid pastors and professionals or people that they perceive are less busy than themselves that will get involved. Somebody less busy than me will get involved and and serve. Someone more qualified perhaps and less busy. That's the first group. And the second group, I would say, are those who have been faithful for years. They've been faithful for years serving, but have now burned out. And unbeknownst to them, they realize uh, now that they were working by their own self-effort. Now, today, they've grown weak in the presence of God. They neglected unknowing in previous seasons times to be refilled and had unknowingly become religious. They no longer believe the church can win. I see a I see a movement of religious people who no longer think the church can win. And so what we do is we disengage and we're willing to watch from the safety of our own living rooms and the safety of our own windows to watch the world go to hell and burn in a blaze of fire. And we'll watch it in safety and think, well, this was all coming anyway. It's hopeless, we think. We no longer believe truly in revival, truly that culture can change, truly that God's going to move in these last days. So my question is, the title of this message is, Where are the Levites? Where are the Levites? Who is Levi? Levi was um, a son of Jacob. He was was the grandfather of all the tribes of of Levi, the the clans of Levi. He was the representative of the tribe of Levi. And so the tribe of Levi, if you remember the story in Moses' day, that Moses goes up and gets the Ten Commandments, he comes down and there's pagan revelry and the people of God have quickly turned away and Moses throws down the Ten Commandments and and he looks and he says, they won't stop doing their entertainment, they won't stop this pagan idolatry and he can't get any of their attention as he's preaching the gospel to turn back to God and he says, now whoever is for the Lord... May he come out and come here. Whoever is for the Lord. He draws a line in the sand in the Spence. He says, whoever is for the Lord, may they come here. And Moses stands apart. And the only tribe that answers the call is the tribe of Levi. And the Bible says that for that reason, in Deuteronomy chapter 10, that the Lord would set apart the tribe of Levi to carry the Ark of the Covenant and stand before the Lord to serve him and bless his name. And from that day forward, every member of the tribe of Levi would stand apart before Israel to show Israel the way to get closer to God. They would minister before the Lord day and night. They would bear the load of carrying the artifacts of God and they would intercede for the lost. They would intercede for their own countrymen and they would stand there and say, this is the way you can come into the presence of the Lord and they would not cease to minister to the Lord day and night. And in this day and age, I'm asking myself, Where are those Levites? Where are the people that Peter says, he says, As for you, you will be a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. Because the point was that God desired all of His tribes to be Levi, and yet only one tribe was willing to answer the call of their Moses, their Savior, their Redeemer, and stand apart and bear the load. And the same is true for the Christian church today. Peter says in, in his, his epistle, he says that you all, you all, God's point is that every single Christian, every single Christian would be a Levite, a royal priesthood who will stand apart in this day. who will stand and who will work and who will bear the load. Let's look in Ezra chapter 8. If you've got a Bible, look with me in Ezra chapter 8. Verse 15. So that was all introduction. Ezra chapter 8, verse 15. Let me give you this story because this story really hopefully will bring it home for us that we can leave this place willing to become the people that God wants us to be. Ezra chapter 8, verse 15. So, let's talk about returning design. So, if you go back in history, Israel had fallen away from the Lord. All the northern tribes, the ten tribes of Israel had gone into exile. And then now the two tribes from the south, the tribes of Judah and Benjamin, had gone into exile as well. And they had gone into Babylon, and the prophets had foretold that they would, all of Israel would go into exile for 70 years, and then God would raise up a Redeemer who would send them back. Now that time had come and now there's a new empire in place, Persia. And King Cyrus of Persia has taken over Babylon and the exiles of Israel are living there. And Cyrus works out, uh, God moves on his heart and he tells the Israelites, now you can go back. And so God raises up a man named Zerubbabel who is a governor uh, and he raises 50,000 people. Now that was a very small number because uh, there's millions of people in exile. But 50,000 people answer the call. And 50,000 people make the dangerous journey back to Israel. God favors them. And despite hard work and effort and even times where they felt like giving up and the enemy was against them, these 50,000 people finally, after many years, and uh, about five, uh, 519 years before Christ, they build the second temple. Now, one generation who had been in that zealous missions mov- movement, man, they rejoiced when they built the temple. But yet another generation who had saw the previous temple, they wept over the glory that wasn't there, that God didn't show up. And so you have this moment. Revival is here, but it wasn't like it ought to be because only 50,000 came. Now, 60 to 80 years has now gone by. There's a new temple in Israel, but it's not the former glory. And the people who are there have already in 60 years lost their zeal. They've begun to intermarry with pagans. They they begin to lose their zealousness. The house of the Lord is quickly falling apart, and they don't even know the Word of God. There's no one there educating them in the things of God. And so in exile, God finds a young man, and that young man's name is Ezra. And Ezra has a passion for the Lord. He loves the Word of God. He is a Levite and a descendant of the high priest. And he, as a Levite, there's something in him that begins to burn with passion for the Lord. And God calls him to be a missionary, to go back to Israel and to lead a new wave of revival. And as the Lord moves on him, he gives favor with the new emperor. And he calls out, Who will go with me to reach uh, and build and finish building the house of the Lord and educate these people in the Lord? And he calls, and guess what? Only 1,500 men and their families answered the call, estimated to be about 5,000 people. It was only 10% of the previous revival. It was only 10% of the people, 10% of the last wave. Ezra and these 1,500 men and their families meet on the side of the riverbank as they are about to trek on a 900-mile dangerous journey with no soldiers, and they have millions of dollars in in, uh, jewelry and supplies for the temple. And they meet there, and as he's stepping out in faith, something this young man has never done before in his life, he just knows that God has called him to be a Levite and to go back to the Zion, and he has got what he's got with him. He says, Lord, we're about to do this dangerous journey. It's going to risk. We may lose it all. We may die on this place. He says, but let me, let's pray and fast. And as he begins to take an in inventory, here's what he says in Ezra 8, verse 15. Now I assembled them at the river that runs to Ahava, where we camped for three days. And I observed the people and the priests. I did not find any Levites there. I did not find any Levites there. So I sent for Eleazar and Ariel and Shemaiah and Elnathan and Jereb and Elnathan and Nathan and Zechariah and Meshulam. Leading men for Jehoreb and El Nathan and teachers. I sent them to Ido, the leading man at the place of Casaphia and I told them what to say to Ido and his brothers, temple servants at the place of Kasaphia. That is, to bring ministers to us for the house of our God. According to the good hand of our God upon us, they brought us a man of insight, of the sons of Mahali, sons of Levi, the son of Israel, the, namely Sherebiah and his sons and brothers. Eighteen men. And Hashabiah and Jesiah and the sons of Mariah and his brothers and their sons. Twenty men. And 220 of temple servants whom David and the princes had given for the service of the Levites, all of them designated by name. Where are the Levites? Of only 1,500 men in their families, 5,000 people total perhaps answered this call. Not one single one of them was a Levite in Ezra's day who answered the call to go back and build up the people of God. He says, where are the Levites? And he musters up 11 men. And those 11 men go to the nearest Levitical town. And they said, you've got to give us people for the building up of the Lord. Why? Because only Levites could build the temple of God. And No one else, the other Israelites could participate, but it was only Levites who could lead the people in the presence of God. Only Levites are the ones who could carry the sacred artifacts into the place of God. Only Levites are the ones that were to called to minister day and night and to intercede. It was only Levites who could know the word of God and learn it and teach it to the rest of the society. And he's like, how can we go back and build up the people of God if we've got no ministers of the Lord with us? He says, "And God moved, and 38 men and their families answered the call." Now how come they didn't answer the call in the beginning? And how come only so few, 38 men of millions of people in Israel, only 38 Levites, would answer the call? And that was after much begging and pleading. Number one, is probably they was too comfortable and secure. You see, in Babylon, perhaps, before Levi and their ancestors had much work, they, they had much work to do as people of God and before the temple, and now in Babylon, they could be just like everybody else, they got to have jobs, and they had security, and Would this journey even be worth it? You know, me and my family have lived in this place for 70 years. I've got a house and a car and TV, and I'm building up my 401K, and, man, it's safe and secure here. I love my kids' school, and, man, I, I have a life here. And you're telling me to sell it all and leave it all behind and pack my family up and make a 900-mile treacherous journey? And when we get there, we're going to have no house, and we're going to have to build a house at the same time we're building up the the temple of the Lord and rebuilding Jerusalem. And along the way, enemies are going to try to rob us. And when we get there, enemies are going to be against us. Man, is it even worth it? What's the point? Why would it even do this thing? They lost, number two, the vision that it would even be possible. They first found comfort and security living in Babylon, number two, as they were hopeless for the vision. They lost hope that the prophecies of God would would come and restore Israel, that God said, know this day, there is a day coming where I'm going to send you back, and when I send you back, then Messiah is going to come. They didn't care anymore. They lost the vision and the hope that it was even possible, that God would do something great in the day that they lived. I'll give you three questions. Number one is, who will stand? Just as Moses had asked, who's on the Lord's side, let him come to me, Jesus offered the same call for his followers. He said in Matthew 16, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. You see, this is a dangerous journey. This Christian life is a dangerous journey. You are sure to know that the enemy is going to be against you. It is a life of sacrifice. It is commitment. But let me tell you something. The journey to get closer to Jesus is always worth it. Somebody say amen. It is always worth it. I don't care how dangerous it is. I don't care what you have to give up because what you're going to get through by giving it all up here and now to get to there, man, it is going to be worth it when you get to heaven and you see that all All God can do for you. We say, man, I've given up houses and cars and things now, all the pleasures and pursuits of this world. Jesus says, there will be a hundred times as much in the ages to come for those who would give it up here and now on this earth. He says, who will stand? Who will stand? I fear that many Christians today are willing to settle to be a Levite in Babylon. Babylon. I want to be a Levite, Lord. Yes, I'm a Levite, but I'm living in Babylon. He says, but who will stand and come out from the way culture tells you Christianity should be? Who will leave and stand apart for truth and justice? and right? Let me tell you something. It's going to get really hard, really quick here in the next few decades or even years to stand apart and stand for Christ in your schools, in your workplaces, in the political arena. It is going to be really hard, and God is going to say, who is going to stand apart and come out of Babylon and take on enemy attacks and preach the truth and stand apart and say this? This is the road to Zion being a Levite means standing apart from culture and standing from truth it means following Christ to the denial of ourself it means giving up your life to risk it all to draw near to Christ number one is who will stand number two is who will work works a bad word nowadays You know, the Lord had put Levi, the Levites into his ministry service. And one of the interesting things about this tribe is that while the other tribes could have a job and own land and have a family and pass that land down to other people. And then that was how you lived and, and blessed your children. In that day, you would pass your estate off to them. And we do that here in LaSalle Parish. Most of us, some of you here today may be living on grandma's land that was purchased years ago and and it built your family. It was a blessing to you. Maybe when you got married, you got mama's old house or grandma's old house or some of that 40-acre tract somewhere. And, And as much was the same like that. But the Levites could never own real property. They never could own the thing. they didn't have a secular job, not one of them in the in the tribe. You're talking hundreds of thousands of people. None of them could have that job. What were they doing? They each had a role to play in ministering to the Lord. They each had a role to play in building up the ministry of God. In Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 9, God says to the tribe, He says, I'll be your inheritance. I'll be Your inheritance, you trust in me, you live this life by faith. If you work for my temple, if you work for my ministry, if you minister to the people, I will take care of every need you have. They began to eat from the tithes and the offerings. They began to eat from the sacrifice they ate and were prescribed. Everything they gave their full life into ministry their full life into the service of the Lord. And God was sure that he would take his portion and provide for them. Remember the stories of Matthew 6 where Jesus says, don't worry about what you're going to do with your life and the sparrows and the flowers. God does, handles all that. You just give your life to the kingdom of God. He's going to take care of all your needs. And do you remember the story? Where Jesus says about that uh, unwise builder, the guy who, uh, he says, man, I'm going to store up for myself treasures, and I'm going to tear down barns and build up bigger barns and fill them with, with all the grain and provide for myself a great life here and now, and, and then when I'm done working for myself and done living for my own pursuits, then I'll take it back and enjoy my retirement. And Jesus says, you fool, for this hour your life is required of you. And you didn't know the hour that you were going to die. And he says, this is much the same for the kingdom of heaven. That we're not to live this life for earthly pursuits here and now, but for an heavenly inheritance in the Lord. He says, this is the man. So is the man who stores up treasures for himself and is not rich towards God. What does it mean to be rich towards God? It means out of the abundance of your possessions, you see the possession of knowing God, the supreme value. You see that, that it's, the pursuit of God is greater than the pursuit of anything else. It's counting God, John Piper says, as greater riches than anything on the earth. And Paul told Timothy, he said... In these last days, instruct those who are rich in this present world not to be conceited or to set their hope on the uncertainty of the things here, the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. Instruct them to do good works, be rich in good works, be generous, ready to share, store for themselves uh, the treasure of a good foundation for the future so they can take hold of that which is, that which is truly, truly life. You see... When you become a Christian and you want to be a real Levite and not one of these pretend Christians, you don't come to church and be a Christian just for yourself. You don't get saved just for yourself. That's only part of it. The rest of it is saying, God, I get saved. I don't come to church for myself. I don't just pray for myself. I don't just learn the Bible for myself. But I learn it to be a minister to others. To be a Levite was not just to make sure your family was saved, but the entire people of God. The entire tribe, the whole world would know who God is. It means serving. It means caring for. It means giving to others. It means every person that is in a local church should have a place to serve, should have some kind of ministry. And it can be anything. It doesn't have to be something written down or with a name tag. It could just be I'm the person who does this. There have been people in our church for years that have just come in and straightened the things in the pews. Uh, Miss Lou, who's just turning 91 tomorrow, she used to come and, and water the flowers outside. You know, there are all kinds of ministries. Just doing what God has gifted you with and what you're able to do. Do it as unto the Lord. Interceding, writing birthday cards, thanking people, sending notes and affirmations, giving a hug, giving a Handshake, affirming someone, teaching someone, giving of everything that God has given unto you. That we're not working just for here and now, but we're working for eternity. That means I'm willing to live by faith, doing more than what I think I can do. Because I'm not just working for here, I'm working for there. Lastly, is this who will bear? Who will stand, who will work, and who will bear? You know, there was four groups of Levites. The first was the priestly class, and those were the people who actually could go into the high place, and they would bear the Ark of the Covenant on their shoulders. You've seen pictures about this, where they have an Ark of the Covenant. It's 800-pound, something 900-pound chest. They would put it on their shoulders. Can you imagine? Four guys, sometimes some people think more, would bear this 900-pound chest, and they would walk before the people of God, and even in Joshua's day, they would enter into the water before the people of God, and then it would part. And this this weight must have been uh, phenomenal walking over rocks and and dusty roads and and all the dangers and perils and you couldn't let it touch the ground and you had to bear the load of the presence of God before the people. You know, the presence of God sometimes in a day seems heavy. It seems like, how can I do this? I don't have enough time or energy, Lord, with all my expectations, my responsibilities and my job demands and my kids' demands and all this stuff. God, how how can I do all that stuff that he's talking about? You see, the priests began to bear the Lord for the people. There was three other groups. One group of Levites would care for the actual walls of the tabernacle. They would pop it, the- they know the tabernacle was a tent, and they would, or a huge tent uh, with different parts and pieces. And one family was in charge of the framework and the actual building of it. And every time they moved as Israelites, they didn't have to do just their own house and their own tent and care for their own animals and get their own family to get to the next location. They had to not only just do their own stuff, they had to go to the tabernacle and take down the framework there's another family that was the curtains and the, the, all the temple supplies, all the interior stuff, like the decorations and the curtains. They had to fold it up just right and make it holy, and, and they would bear that load. And again, they had to bear their own tent and their own life and their own ministry to their own family, but also bear the load of transmitting the temple, the tabernacle of God to the next location. And the other family, the third one, They would bear all the artifacts, the table of showbread, the incense, all the uh, other sacred artifacts before the Lord, and that family would bear that load. See, each one did their own part and bore the load, but it sometimes, no doubt, had to be heavy. It had to be strenuous. It had to be something monumental, but it was their calling to bear the presence of God and to bear the load of their own families before a lost and dying world. Someone has to do it. Someone has to show the world what heaven is going to look like. Someone has to teach. See, in this family, not only would they teach their own kids the Bible, if any of the other Levites, would, or any of the other people of the, of the tribe or of the foreigners would come into the place of God unworthy or unready, they would die. And the Levites were there to instruct them and say, No, this is the only way to get into the presence of God. This is the sacrifice required. This is the way you come before the Lord. And they were to instruct the people to bear the load of the people and to bear the load of the presence of God, to tell people, This is the way to heaven. Is that not true of you and me today? Where are the Levites? Paul says, don't you know that all of you collectively, all of you collectively are the temple of the Holy Spirit? Don't you know your bodies were purchased? They're not your own. That you are all living stones, one place says. What does he mean? You all have a load to carry to get the presence of God and let him move you and move you and to bear the load of what it means to be the temple of the Holy Spirit, to be a kingdom of priests, a royal priesthood, a people who is interceding for the Lord who is ministering to the Lord, who is telling people, this is how you get to heaven. Don't go this way. You can't come in that way. This is how you get closer to God. Don't you see that God is holy, holy, holy? Levites would, before, think about it, even before Jericho's walls fall, who was it the ones that were shouting praise and who were shouting the trumpets? It was the Levites. I think God is looking for a group of people in a day of sleeping saints, in a day when few are answering the call, who will say, Yes. I will take the treacherous journey. Yes, I will stand apart. Yes, I will bear the load of no matter what the cost is. I will lead the people of God into a new wave of revival. I will shout before anybody else shouts. I will sing before anybody else sings. I'm not just going to bear the load of ministering to my own family, but I'm going to get involved in the local church. I'm going to serve the things of God. I'm going to lead us into another place that we've never been before and I'm not satisfied who is serving God in Babylon. I want to serve Him from now and into heaven too, and I'm going to make the journey, no matter what it takes, I'm going to be a Levite in this generation. <laughs> Where are the teachers? Where are the builders? Where are the worshipers? who want to carry this mission and this message forward? And they think, well, why would they ever want to do all that? Because some people remembered, and I'll close with this, some people remembered that every time those Levites carried the presence of God on their shoulders, they prospered. Every time they took the presence of God on their shoulders, they were protected. Every time in a desert, In a wilderness, in a journey that seemed impossible, God parted waters. God made food fall from heaven. Waters opened up in the middle of a desert. Let me tell you something. The journey's gonna be hard, but it's gonna be worth it. It's gonna be worth it to not just care for your own life and your own family, to be a part of building up God's church in a day where he wants to send a new wave of revival and say, man, I saw these stories in scripture, how God opened blinded eyes and deaf ears and how God provided miracles of five loaves and two fishes, and I don't know how we're gonna make it on our own, but I know that any time we bear the load of the presence of God on our shoulders and we step out before anybody else has stepped out, Even if we stand alone, we will always make it. God is asking, where are the Levites? I want to be one of the 38. In fact, I don't want to just be one of the 38. I want to be one of the ones that answered the call before the 38 ever did. I believe God is looking for a new generation. As some have got lost in the things of this world and some have burned out. You see, I think about all the Levites that were passed by when that 38 answered the call. You see, God is always looking for someone to answer. You see, God passed by other tribes. When the Levites stood up, He chose them. God passed by Eli and his sons who were Levitical priests for a little boy named Samuel who would stand for truth and answer the call and the voice of God in his day. When others fail to lead, God always chooses the ones who are willing. Jesus passed by the religious Pharisees for a bunch of unlearned fishermen because they were hungry, and they were willing, and they were willing to leave their nets and follow him. And God will bypass us in this church too if we're not willing to answer the call to carry this mission and this message forward to a new generation. Because if the Levites are not leading... God will raise up someone to carry the load. Would you be a Levite? Will you be a Levite in this generation? Would you stand with me, please, all across this room? Let's take a moment and respond to the Lord. Where are the Levites? You see, they got lost in how big our God was. His vision that Messiah was coming, that the temple had to be built, that Israel had to be established. They lost sight of all the promises that God had done and all the miracles that God had given when they always stood apart. And today, Jesus is more lovely. He's more wonderful. He's more holy than we can even imagine. His promises are still true. He still provides manna from heaven. He still multiplies loaves and fishes. He still opens blind eyes. He still heals deaf ears. He still restores families. He still gives prosperity. He still heals of cancer. He still works wonders. He still pours out his spirit with power and signs and wonders to follow. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's just looking for someone who will bear his presence. Who will stand, who will work, and who will bear the load? Father, we take a moment. We ask you to take this time. Lord, we take a moment to respond. Lord Jesus, we just ask for you to fill this moment. I'm going to ask if you are a saint of God, or you just begin to pray right now. We're just going to ask the Holy Spirit just to minister to us before we leave this place, not to just go out after another message, but Lord, would you change our hearts? Lord, would you raise up missionaries like Ezra? Lord, the call has gone out. Lord, that you would call people to you. You're calling people to yourself, and Lord, I want to answer the call. Jesus, I'll bear the load. No matter what it takes, God. Lord, that we'll stand apart. That we'll be worshipers in a day when nobody is worshiping. We'll be people who are serving in a day maybe when nobody is serving. God, we'll stand apart from culture, entertainment, and worldly ideologies. Lord, we'll stand against the enemy because we know you're with us. Lord, we still believe you're a God who breaks through, God, impossible roads and journeys. God, we still believe you're a God who's all-powerful. Who's worth it? Who's worth whatever sacrifice? Like those young fishermen who saw something in Jesus that was worth leaving their nets to give it all up to follow him. There's something about you, Lord, that makes it worth the sacrifice. Get our eyes on Jesus again, Lord. Get our hearts set on you again. Lord, it's not about the sacrifice and the religiosity, it's about you, Lord. What a privilege to bear your presence. What a privilege to carry your church forward. What a privilege it is to to serve you Lord because we're ministering to you Jesus because you are worthy Father